Hey everyone, welcome to Alumless. It's Friday, 1130, June 7th, Eastern Times. It's great to have you July. back with us. July, you said June. It's July 7th. Oh, you're right. I'm all screwed <laughs> up. I'm all screwed up. Summertime. We actually had 4th of July week this week, which was great. A bit of a short week. Uh, Chris, you and I got a chance to catch up. We're doing some work down at uh, High Point University, North Carolina this week, which was really fun. Uh, we're streaming live today. As you know, we've uh, love to be live when we can. Sometimes we're pre-recorded like we were uh, with Christine Fairchild just a couple shows back, but um, great to have our special guest today, Erica Arroyo from the University of Miami joining us. Fantastic guest. We're going to talk a lot about integrated alumni engagement strategies. If you've got questions for yourself, for yourself, for me, <laughs> for yourself, for Chris, for Erica, I'm not on point yet, Chris. I don't know. Come on, man. We're messing up the preamble here. We haven't even gotten started yet. Thank God we've got a script, you know, that'd be falling apart. Uh, but if you've got any questions, use the LinkedIn comments section in the event, and we will try to answer them. If not, during the live section, the bonus section of Alumless. And uh, we're grateful for our growing podcast subscribers. So anyway, with that preamble, Chris, how are you doing? How was your 4th good. of July? It was good. We had a good, you know... Hot dog, apple pie, firework, Fourth uh, of July. It was great. In fact, uh, we have we had a guest at our home uh, who's also a previous guest on Alumnus. She happens to be a good personal friend, uh, Nancy Merritt from Pitt, uh, who swam for me at Lehigh, and so did her husband and her two kids were in town for the week, and they're like our nephews and their cousins to our kids. So we had a fun four or five days together, of just hanging out, and having fun. It was a lot of a lot of a lot of fun. Sounds very all American. The, it was the yeah, yeah. and the apple pie, and I guess that's the idea, right? On the Fourth yep. of July, so that's fantastic. We well, we got up yesterday. We were down in North Carolina. You flew yourself down, and uh, well, and I joined you by car from Richmond. We met. You're, you have an excuse to be a little off because you you were in the car for over six hours, seven hours yesterday. So. <laughs> It was a little bit of a drive. I don't know. What, I feel like when you do the flying, it's just about the same commitment, yeah. you know, yep. three hours. <laughs> but um, it uh, was a great visit. High Point University, really interesting school. Uh, we spent time with President uh, Nito Cobain there, a fantastic guy with a, who's a prolific fundraiser yeah. for the yeah. university. Uh, amazing the expansion that they've had at High Point. We had a great discussion about you know, finding the right balance when it comes to the degree to which we're thinking about donor-centered engagement strategies versus alumni-centered engagement strategies. He really made the point that, you know, donors have been absolutely crucial to the massive expansion that they've made. And, and actually, alumni engagement needs to be more in the center moving forward. But point is, is that every university is trying to figure this bit out, right? Yeah, and yeah. Cre create their own pathway forward. Uh, it can't always be about the money, but so just what were your thoughts uh, coming away from that meeting and uh, sort of thinking about today's show? Yeah, well, I'll tell any of our live visitors, if you can jump in on the chat, say hello, tell us where you are, and we'll check in back with you. But if our viewers or listeners later on haven't been to High Point, it's worth a stop. If you're in the Greensboro, North Carolina, or you're going between Raleigh and Charlotte, you can make a stop in Greensboro at High Point. It's one of the most spectacular campuses I've ever been on. I've been on three, 400 college campuses. So this, this is amazing what it's, what it, what it, what they have done over the past 19 years under this president. And the, what I took away from that meeting, Ryan, was like a, like a masterclass in business 
focused prioritization of what he's done over the almost two decades he's been in that role. And he's done amazing things to transform that place to what it is today. And what's interesting is that the, the last 10 to 12 years of alums have experienced the high point that is today with an almost concierge-like service to students that an ex student experience it's so enhanced that what will that translate to later on in support for the institution is a really good question. I posted this on LinkedIn yesterday and someone jumped in and added a comment on this topic. And I think they're showing great improvements around uh, pride, uh, being informed about the school, their attitude about the school, their overall engagement. What, what's it's interesting, though, is we saw in our data, while it's improving, it's below a benchmark that we're looking at, is their willingness to consider High Point as a philanthropic priority. And the hypothesis I have is I wonder if because the, the investment in the institution has been so great that the most recent graduates don't feel like the High Point needs their money. And it's a really good question. I think we should spend some time with them. And, and even on this call today, you know, Erica probably has an opinion about this, about what how do you raise money from young alums is a really, really good question. It is. It is really tricky, really unique uh, campus. It was great visit. I, you have to uh, Cameron Hall who's listening mentions the gates. It is a gated university, which is interesting. Right. Yeah, uh, you actually can't just stop by. You need to know somebody to get you through the front gates, which, uh, you know, provides an entirely different experience, I think, for uh, for, for folks. But um, anyway, so we were there. We're going to bring out our special guest today, Erica Arroyo, because at the University of Miami, uh, Offices of Advancement, they've got a unique approach. I think we talked to we uh, we talked to lots of folks at lots of schools. And I think it's fair to say uh, Erica and the team there are uh, out in front when it comes to more integrated engagement strategies. So let's bring Erica to feed. Hello, Erica. Yeah, she is. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Uh, we're really grateful that you could spend some time with us. And, um, you know, we uh, ended up titling this episode Developing an Integrated Advancement Model. And I think that could definitely have different meanings depending on who you ask what integrated means. And Chris and I come across that a lot where integrated means something different to everybody. And, you know, you all have a an approach that is fully integrated, I think, is the language that we were using. And Maybe you could just sort of start off by explaining a little bit about what does that mean for you all? What does fully integrated mean? Sure. Uh, the easiest way, I was trying to figure out the most simplistic way to state it. We are, everyone on the team is an engagement officer and everyone also fundraises. So that's in its simplest form. We all engage and we fundraise. Um, I think it's helpful to sort of talk about the structure of my team that'll help put it into context. So while most shops have alumni relations and annual giving combined, we did that quite early on. We've now expanded that. And so we have other layers within our team. Um, we've added family relations and we've added volunteer leadership. And mm -hmm. so essentially we have four parts of the org working together to build pipeline. So we have our traditional annual giving team, which we call philanthropic giving and digital engagement. And they're the folks that are sort of the foundation doing the main broad stream solicitations and engagements via surveys, digital touch points to see who raises their hand and sort of, you know, shows interest, starts giving maybe sure. annually, gets involved in a survey. Once they start percolating up from that level, they usually go on to our lifelong engagement team, which is your traditional alumni relations team, except we really do for all programming for all. It's not just alumni, which is why we call it lifelong engagement instead of alumni relations. And that has, you know, our school and college um, affinity groups, special interest groups, 
campus-based programming like Alumni Weekend. Um, they're trying to get someone more involved after they've raised their hand, they've participated in a few surveys, perhaps they'll get involved in an affinity group, perhaps they'll get involved with a school or college group. Then that team works them a little bit more to get them more leaned in. Then let's say people then raise their hand in that capacity and really show growth. They would then work with one of my other teams, my volunteer leadership team, which manages all of our alumni boards, our president's council, our young alumni leaders council, or they might get involved on the parent side with our parents council and that team. And essentially they're growing in their trajectory, if you will, their level of involvement and giving should be going up over time with the ultimate goal of folks would graduate from that family relations team or that volunteer leadership team to then be referred on to a major gift officer. And so then that person's ready. They've already been making leadership gifts. They are involved on a board. They're giving and they're ready for that next step. And so we work hand in glove with the major gift officers to then pass those referrals on. So it's a fully integrated system, if you will, of pipeline development where everyone on the team is engaging. Everyone is intentional about fundraising all in various levels, but primarily under the 100K level is where we're focused. It, it sounds like the way you describe me, it's a conscious strategic decision that got made and you're now executing on it for many years and it's sort of become part of the DNA. There are many programs that sort of accidentally, talking about the right word, but naturally the, that sort of flow happens, but it's not a strategic thing. It's sort of a happenstance. You've taken it to a whole point where you, you've constructed a literally a pipeline to make sure that happens. You're right. Is there a handoff? I mean, we're already off off script. Yeah, right. I, I do that all the time. Right? Happen, right? <laughs> we, uh, but do, is there, because I imagine there's two parts, right? There's the program development and manage component, like take the second layer where you have groups, right? The, do you, are you, is there a handoff process between the first group, which is those who have activated through digital engagement, for example, and then those who are participating in groups? And is that, also intentional. Do you, are you moving people through outreach along the pipeline to different experiences? Yes, it is intentional. So there is a referral. I would say where it gets a little bit more of a partnership is when we get to the major gift level, because um, our senior VP does the greatest analogy with this. So it's we are the generalists in our shop. And the development officer is a specialist. Like when you go to your general primary position, that's your primary doctor. But then you do have a specialist when you need something, let's say, that comes up that's more serious. They need to see a surgeon that specializes in that. So we still sometimes will be, you know, the, always the generalist that the, the the donor or the alumnus would come back to, right? Because we were their initial point of contact. The specialist, <laughs> the specialist will come in and help with that school or college and make that next major gift happen. And at that point, they may still be in the relationship or they might then be referred back to us or be referred to another specialist if another desire comes up. Yeah. Or they may be labeled not a prospect now if they've already given where they want to give for their life and there's not a major gift strategy to continue on with. Um, but the alumni team, the engagement team is always referred to as that generalist because we, we, we started the relationship. So we will transfer as a warm transfer. I don't like to say we refer and it's a hard refer. So, sometimes it is, right? Um, but we still like to work with that person so it's not just cold and goodbye and not see them again. That is unnatural too. Right. <laughs> yeah. What's the ongoing engagement plan for these uh, folks, right, who you're bringing along? How do you keep them warm over a lifetime, which is would require a generalist and specialist approach? 
so, but we talked about, we were going to entitle the episode, we were going to use the word qualification in it, right? Because uh, it's very much about the work that you're doing is that building of a handoff, qualifying people, not just for their giving potential, but for their engagement potential, probably, uh, mm-hmm. and moving people you know, over to the, your development colleagues. Uh, can you share a bit more about your work and how you think about qualifying and that outcome? Yeah, so it's a great question. I would say it's evolved as well. So we've been in this about four, four and a half, maybe five years now. And so what we started as qualification was a much more uh, warm uh, sense of the word. And that was intentional because, mind you, my team, they were all alumni relations professionals and we made this switch. So it was a big shock to them. And so we had to make sure that they felt comfortable with this change. And I had to get them acclimated. To, they were doing this work already. Sure. It's, they weren't labeling it as such and they weren't being metrics. So we were meeting people. We were bringing people, identifying, cultivating, bringing them along. But then we weren't doing the final piece was the ask. We would hand a great prospect over to a major gift officer. And then our team would never get any recognition in that process. And so this is an intentional way to make sure that the team is getting some of that credit and that buy-in and recognition from the rest of the university. Um, But to answer your question, we started with qualification in a more loose term of someone who's ready to make a gift, certainly, but someone that's ready to be more involved, someone that perhaps is going to be tapped to be a leader in our one of our Keynes communities, our alumni club, or one of our volunteer leadership boards. So someone who is ready to be more intentionally involved with the university, we would consider that a qualification, a successful qualification. And so in essence, when you find someone, you meet them. You qualify, are they ready for the next step to be deeply involved with the with the university in one of those ways? Fast forward, now our qualifications are leaning more towards the higher levels of involvement or engagement, which do translate to dollars, if you will, or a significant leadership capacity. But in the very beginning, it was who's ready to be more involved, roll up their sleeves. Let's get those people under our umbrella and really cultivate and work them further. Yeah. Who wants to be more involved? I think that that's awesome. Um, Chris, so do you think we'll see more teams doing what Eric is doing? And is there a risk of being too integrated? Uh, well, we're already seeing it. As you, as you both know, there's been, I'm sure our listeners know that there's been this sort of ebb and flow of these thinking about joining these, structurally speaking, organizationally speaking, annual giving, alumni engagement and other components. And it was it was apart. It was together. It went apart. And now we're starting to see another trend of coming back together again. And, you know, NC State went this way a year ago, Syracuse, Ohio University, Indiana University, um, Lafayette College, large, small, everything in between are experimenting with this right now. And and my goal is to have people to stay with it for like 10, 15 years so we can see some longitudinal data and the impact of it. Um, But at the end of the day, we can't have it all about dollars. There needs to be broad-based engagement too. And so I don't think you stop the broad-based engagement work that may not lead to fundraising outcomes because you know, there's lots of things alums can do to support an institution. Recruit students, mentor students, hire and internships and all that are all important work that doesn't have necessarily a direct fundraising result. Although you could argue that many of those other things have a revenue <laughs> return to the institution as well. So, but um, it, yeah, go ahead, Ryan. Well, I was going to say, is it fair to say what you're sacrificing or what you're uh, accepting is a strategy based on uh, not scale, right? Uh, you're not trying to engage as many people as possible, or you're trying to engage a 
a smaller subset of, of yeah. donors, right? Creating a deepening donor. strategy versus a breadth. You know, yeah. Um, Erica, do you, do you disagree with that, or do you, um, you know? I completely agree. And I should have said that. So we are more targeted. And so my staff is more targeted in their approach, but we have not stopped the broad base. And I don't think any model is successful that ignores the broad base. That is completely yeah. necessary. I was talking to an alum the other day who said, you know, I could win the lotto tomorrow. I don't have a th- you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to give you today, but invite me to an event. Stop, you know, don't, don't talk, not talk to me because I don't have money because I could win the lotto tomorrow. I said, you're exactly right. And that's why we still do these things. <laughs> so we have the broad-based events, the alumni weekend, the signature programs where everyone's invited. Just my team is hyper-focused on certain individuals that are trying to build pipeline for our next campaign. And our leaders and our volunteer boards and our Keynes communities are doing more of the broad-based work than my team used to do. So it's still an existent right. and we still step in. It's just more intentional, more strategic. Cause as Chris said, it's, it's, it's hard to do everything at scale when you have a certain st- number of staff members per alum- alumni population. When you do the math, it's not physically possible for us to reach everyone. You have to have that multiplier effect. And that's when successful leaders, strong leaders come into play to help with that broad based uh, programming. Right. It sounds a little bit like the ABCD strategy we talk yeah. about in our work. A- a equals principal gift, B major gift, C annual gift, D is everyone else. And you got to have ABCD activity like you just described, the homecoming, uh, regional chapters. But when an A or B level prospect shows up at those events, we want to make sure we know that that person's there and they have the right, you know, best experience as possible so that we're targeted in the same way. So that's an approach we're, we're actually talking about with several clients right now. And they're taking this up as a uh, as a strategy, sort of a almost like to build a common language internally, so we all know what we mean when we're going to have a targeted approach, like you just described, Eric. I love it. It's also interesting because we have another client who, who's, you know, they we grappled with the idea of breadth versus depth, and we said, "What do you want to focus on?" And he's like, "Yes," you know, which is, uh, <laughs> you know, which is which is both. And so I, I think you know it's really hard for a school, and you've got the four case metrics, and your, your inclination is scale, right? right. Grow it bigger, more numbers, more people, more activation. And I think you have to give yourself as an organization permission yeah. to, to do it your way and to focus on being integrated in, in your way. Erica, what would you say are some growing pains you've experienced the last couple of years? Oh, my many. And we're still going through them. I'd say as we continue along, we're tweaking. I mean, it's not a perfect model. Um the, fir- the biggest growing pain was getting everyone on board. I think that's the biggest thing to making sure that this is a success. Um, we had the buy-in vision really from our senior vice president, my team, making sure all of my leaders were on board with this direction and then moving forward. Um, growing pains, of course, we didn't have some staff members that were in alignment with our new direction. And that's okay because we were able to then bring in the people that were really really ready to take this risk and go on this journey. Um, The biggest growing pain is really just getting folks comfortable with fundraising and letting them know that they're already doing it. Um, That I think was the biggest success and aha moment, though it was hard to get there. Again, when I look at the leadership at our university, our board of trustees, our dean's advisory councils, a lot of those people, the majority of those people were folks that my team found back in the day. We found them, created those relationships, and really cultivated them 
Fast forward a decade later, now they're in these leadership positions, but no one knows the story of how those originated. And so I, t- I share that with my team quite a bit to say, you guys are so integral to the next campaign that we will enter for our university because the relationships that you're finding now and cultivating will be the future leaders making those major gifts and holding those positions across the university. And they're already doing it and they just don't realize it. And so that was that was a big aha moment for them. They're, they're doing all the hard work, the complicated work of finding someone, that diamond in the rough really getting their trust, building that relationship. That's hard work. It's not a, an exact science, if you will. It's a lot of relationship and long time. The ask is the easy part and getting them comfortable with that um, really was key for us. Let, let me take us off script again further, Ryan, if you don't mind, because I'm curious, Erica, in that process you just described, did you even think about, worry about, or spend time uh, sharing this approach with volunteer and volunteer leadership, specifically an alumni board, for example? Yes. Of, of what we're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. They're part of it too. Um, I mean, not everyone would hear, you know, how the sausage is made, but certainly right. those that are our strategic partners and helping us to do this in the multiplier effect, they had to be a part of this buy-in to help us do what we, to, to reach the goals we wanted. Any Sorry. pushback from them on this? No, because again, I think that trust was built early on. We had the right leaders that, that knew that we had a job to get done and they, 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 they believed in the direction we were heading right. in. So no, not really. But that I, I, you know, let's not let that go by without saying this. You got that response from them because you've managed that group well, Correct. brought them along on the journey, asked them to head this direction, and they were on board because of the work you did leading up to it. Correct. If you took an average alumni board who was focused on the broad-based thing and said, we're going to come over here to the, this tent and be more targeted, there will be some that will go, yep, I'm with you. And others will go, no way in hell. No, I'm not part of this. Correct. Yeah, but you've done the work. Uh, I want correct. to make sure that point's clear. <laughs> correct, correct. It wasn't just, yes, of course, we'll do anything you say. <laughs> right, right, right. It was the trust and the years of relationship leading up to that. Absolutely. Yeah, the groundwork of focused effort on engagement, right, over the course of time allows you to be more integrated, you know, over the long run and, and ramp it up. And one of the examples of the integrated work that you've been doing, I think, was the uh, way in which you all uh, reorganized or pivoted your regional strategy. Yes. Uh, you had more of a grassroots strategy with your with your chapters or, or clubs. I forget which which they were called, but you you moved them or morphed them into Canes communities, which were a lot more focused on fundraising. And could you kind of share, you know, where point A was and then where point B was? You all won a, a case award for that effort, and I thought it was we highlighted on another webinar we did a couple of weeks ago together. But um, I think it's really interesting and something I lots of folks are focused on is the evolution of regional engagement. Yeah, no, and I think again, Chris hit on a point of how it was uh, work done in the past that sort of built the framework for the future. Arcane's communities and that shift was a big intentional move toward away from just focusing on alumni and then focusing on a broader sense of a constituent. So parents are allowed to be involved in Arcane's communities, donors, fans, friends of the U, grateful patients, students. So it's not just alumni that we're servicing. So we were intentional and brought our regional direct, you know, boards along in that shift from alumni clubs to Canes communities, which are servicing everyone, broader impact much more um, engagement. And so our Canes communities, which were very much grassroots, are now more strategic in that we have levels. We're the Miami Hurricanes. So we have our tiers, if you will, named after categories of a hurricane. So category (laughs) five, category five is our premier market. They are the ones that are engaging the most, um, have the most strategic um, 
programming to reach our goals of engagement and fundraising and have specific things that they're required to do within region. And then they get in return specific things from my team. So a staff person perhaps will visit them more frequently or help plan an event, provide sponsorship dollars, those sorts of things. Category four, three, and it goes on is the different levels, again, of things that they would provide and what we would give in return. And this helped us to be more strategic in how my staff was spending their time with these groups. So the groups that are helping us reach our goals and have the most impact, we're spending our most time with. And people can move up and down in the grid, right? They sort of had an initial rating, if you will. But based on how they're programming, we they move up and down every fiscal year based on what the output is and how they're reaching their goals, how much money they might be raising for their Keynes Community Scholarship. How many people are they bringing into the fold as referrals back to our team? Do they have a full leadership board that's giving back financially to the university? Are they providing sponsorship dollars for events or making connections for other corporations? to the University of Miami? Are they engaging a broad number of people? How is their APR within their market? Those are all the sorts of things that we measure to sort of help us make decisions as we're moving folks between the tiers. But it's been very successful for us in being more mindful of how my staff spending their time and helping us to reach our goals of building that pipeline through engagement and fundraising. Wait, you use data to make decisions on how to for alumni engagement strategy? Well, we do. <laughs> you know, Josh uh, in our in the comment section asked a great question about how the clubs respond, and I was one of the things I was thinking. Do you imagine? Do they? Is this a competition between the clubs, or is this like an internal methodology of ranking? Are the clubs aware of the way you're moving them up and down? And and like, I guess maybe that's what Josh is asking, but that's definitely what it I is, was curious yeah. yeah. about. Yeah. It's not a competition. It's really just to be very clear on expectations, yeah. right? Which we would do with any volunteer. And we made it fun by calling it categories. But it's really to be clear about we're not going to be everything to everyone anymore. And this is why we're trying to get to this end all goal. And we need your help to get there. And this is how you can do it. Some groups may never be a category five, right? For us, maybe Phoenix is not a, a big market and we'll never be able to get there. But there's ways that they're meaningfully engaging folks that we need to still be there for them and, and program with them a partner. Um, so it's not necessarily I'm trying to be a five. Some groups know they never will be, but then it's okay that they don't have to program in all of our five pride areas that we ask them to, to program in. Um, but in turn, we're not going to be you know, as president in the market, perhaps the, right. the president might not make a trip to Phoenix um, unless there's a really strong case to help us meet our goals um, that fall outside of this sort of structure that we've created. Yeah. A good follow-up question there from Scott Francis about the clashing of the fundraising related responsibilities versus the engagement program development related responsibilities. I worked at the University of Virginia on a team that tried this very thing uh, that you did uh, to make the regional engagement officers more fundraisers, and it, and it didn't work. Uh, and so I imagine you've been sort of wary on of how to how you're going about this interesting merging of responsibilities. Yep, great question. Hi to Scott. Good to see you. Joining <laughs> us. Um, it's a it was a really big problem in the beginning. I would say the reason why it's worked for us, I and I did not mention, we do not manage our own events. So my team used to manage the logistics of events and execution of events. We are only responsible for strategy of an event. We have a central events team that does all of that stuff, picking the napkins, working with the AV vendor, because really my team can get lost in that. 
And they did. Even when we had an events team take that over, we made this transition. They still wanted to be a part of, yeah. you know, oh, let me see how the lights should be in the room and the food order and this sort of stuff. But we had to remind them, is that helping you get to your goals? No. And so we really try to divide their time. We all are wearing multiple hats in this profession of alumni relations and development at any point in time. But we have to be really intentional about where we spend our time. If not, we can really get lost down any sidetrack road if we let um, that distraction do so. So for us, we have a diagram for each engagement officer and we tell them you should be spending, you know, a third of your time in this piece, another third of your time here. And we've tweaked that throughout the years, but essentially the categories are, you know, fundraising, your your as one piece, qualification as another, um, some of this broad-based stuff and engagement, as well as making sure that you're taking care of your, your regional, your groups, your Keynes communities, if you're managing that piece, your affiliate groups, because that can be, if you, you can spend 100% of your pie chart right. if you wanted to with volunteer leadership groups, if you let it. And sure. so we tried to remind them to, you have to switch on and off. And if you're spending this much time with this board, is it helping you meet your qualification goal? Is it helping you meet your solicitation goal? Is helping you with your dollars raised. Right. If it's not, then you have to spend less time in that category. And so being very mindful of that is key. If not, you can get lost in it and it, can, it will not work. Share with the group, quick profile, how many alumni for University of Miami? Your big number. 200,000 living alumni. Okay. How many on your staff central? And are there other alumni professionals scattered across in units across the university? My team, 45. And there are a few sprinkled alumni professionals here and there within schools and colleges, but yeah. most of it is a centralized program. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of people who just went 45 when you said that, <laughs> listen to this right now, I'm sure of it. It wasn't always that way though. When I started um, as associate vice president, I've been at the U for 17 years, but when I got this role and made this big transition, we were about half of the size mm. and we made the intentional decision that the leadership did to grow the team with this goal in mind. And so targeted we, strategy, you have a better argument to make for additional resources. I believe that 100%. I get into this debate quite often with other alumni relations professionals. And it <laughs> helped them. We have a track record now. The first, yeah. we didn't have any money coming in except for the annual giving dollars that we had from that program. And last year, my team closed $25 million. So we've shown a growth over time, and that'll continue to grow. In the grand scheme of things with a campaign is 25 million. It is a drop in the bucket when you're talking about billion dollar campaigns, but it shows relevance for the team right. and the referrals and the pipeline are going to continue to show dividends. And that's, that's what we're true. trying to show now. I love it. Love it. Love what you're doing. Yeah, uh, me too. And um, Josh, uh, Joshua Jones, we're going to tackle your question in the bonus section of Alumless this week. Thanks for asking it. Erica, lots of great thoughts in there. Um, so much good stuff. I know people were listening and um, learned a lot from you already. And we've got 30 more minutes of conversation coming up in the bonus section. Before we sign off for today, this week, Chris, who are we featuring? I think you should week? introduce this speaker, Chris. This is your recruit. I'm proud yeah. of what you did here. Me too. So, so Tammy Akin-Aina is the uh, uh, Associate Vice President for Alumni Relations at Western University in Canada. And uh, she's a really uh, exciting up-and-comer in the field, um, went from an associate director role at Concordia University to an AVP-level role at Western, leading a large team now in Canada. Uh, and um, she's already been flying all over the world, making her presence known for the university. Oh, so I'm excited to, to uh, talk with her in two weeks' time. 
Uh, okay, so thank you for listening, everybody. We're going to sign off here for this week and uh, pick up the podcast edition to hear our bonus section with Erica Arroyo. Have a good weekend, everyone. Bye. Everybody. All right, we are back for the bonus section of Alumnus with Erica Arroyo, uh, Associate Vice President for Engagement at the University of Miami. It's great to have you, Erica. We had a really stimulating first half hour discussion. We were just sort of talking about um, what an important topic, this notion of a fully integrated advancement shop, uh, what that means. And I think we really touched on some of the key components in the first half hour. I thought we could sort of uh, go a little higher view and talk about the University of Miami just a little bit. Um, It is definitely a unique school. Um, How would you describe the University of Miami and its alumni? I would say we are young in nature. So we're going to celebrate our centennial in 2025. And that's what makes the U so special. Honestly, we haven't been around for, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of years that we're so set in our ways. We're young in nature. And so that allows us to be more spontaneous, really allows my team and me to be more um, creative in our work and take risks like we're doing with this model. Really, I'm not sure that we would have been able to do it had we been around for so long and that would have worked. It would have been really hard to change folks' minds coming in with this new strategy. But because they allow us to really experiment That is what I love about the U. Um, Our alumni base is unique in that we have a lot of pride, um, but I would say we we have a lot of fair weather fans, which makes my job harder. We're in Miami, which has a lot of distractions. We have a lot of rah, rah, but also, I mean, people love the U and will do anything for the U. It's a well-known brand, but you got to work really hard to get them to do more, translate that pride into action. Mm. versus some other institutions that maybe just have that built-in network in that culture. We got to earn it. And so that makes my team work a lot harder. Um, So that makes us a little bit different, I would say, from most places. I love it during NFL Monday Night Football where the players introduce themselves and they say where they went to school. You. And often they just say the you, and it's such a good branding, all know, right? I mean, <laughs> everybody knows what that means, right? How did that start? You know, when it had to have over the course of time, you claimed the word university for the, you know, <laughs> how did that was it work? a football thing or was it something it that was, was intentional branding on the football side? It was started on the athletic side and it sort of just stuck. A lot of the players would do, and then someone started doing this piece to okay. it. And then the university made an intentional switch of their brand. So we had like a block logo before that said the University of Miami, and they intentionally switched to the U. And so Mm -hmm. now everybody knows what that means, no matter where you go. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well done. Uh, There there was definitely a period there, I think, where brands were talking about that engagement work well done over the course of years, that there were some really high caliber football championship years, right? Uh, and then you've returned to uh, basketball success this particular year. Uh, the sports were huge. At, uh, we'll get back to that a little bit later, but um, let's talk about your, your team, what's on the horizon for this year, and uh, are you trying to become more integrated than you are, or do you think you've got the right level? I, I think we're we're much better. Could we be more integrated? I would say the next step would be with the schools and colleges and being more integrated with them, integrated with athletics uh, across the university. So within our division, I think we're as integrated as we can be right now. 
um, that I want to tackle, I should say. Um, but I'm really working on being more intentional across the university and, and replicating our model in other areas. Um, what's on the horizon, I would say AI for sure. Everyone has that top of mind how to incorporate chat GTP within my team's operation. Um, filling positions, building momentum, staff retention is always a big issue in higher ed. I think we're certainly not immune to that. So that's top of mind for me, making sure my team is happy and a, a success, you know, a good culture that they want to stay in. Um, those are the things that are sort of top of mind for me, but really AI, that's a big one. The college school thing is an interesting one. I think that's, uh, was the question that came up at the end, Ryan, do you recall the, just, uh, I was trying to, I should have, Taking a screenshot or something. I think, I think it was yeah. how did this strategy play out across the colleges and schools? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the question, the gist of it was. And can you share a little bit about that? We haven't really expanded. And so that's what something would be our next step. Schools, yeah, colleges. Like, yeah. It's more complicated because you have the deans involved and, yep. and, and provosts. Um, we're going to try a, a few school and colleges as pilots, if you will, and showing them how our model works and, and integrated model works successfully within their shop. Um, but we haven't. That's the next phase, if you will. We wanted to make yeah. sure we got our operation under order before we started really going out and branching out. But that's again, a, another example of really good management there. You, you have these evolutionary stages that you can go back to and explain. You already are describing the next one and you use the word pilot. A lot of people say, let's just do this with all 12 colleges. You know, Let's do it with one. <laughs> let's get it right with one and scale it up. Smart. I love what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah continue to grow uh, strategically, but steadily, right? Yeah, it doesn't have exactly. to open the floodgates all at once. The old boil the ocean thing is what often happens in our business. People are just, they want to get it done. They want to be successful and they have you know, those type A personalities and want to tackle it all. And it's it's got to be done in small bites. So. Did you think you've had to sacrifice in any areas as you've grown this? Because you were in the before times and yeah. then the after times, which I suppose corresponds to their arrival of your of your SVP. But mm -hmm. um, have things changed such that you've had to sacrifice anywhere, I suppose, whether that's what you like to do in your work or maybe what your team does, which, how you like to manage? I think so. Certainly, I alluded to losing some people at the beginning of this transition, and that was hard. Folks that really were passionate about the engagement, not so much the fundraising. I wish we didn't have to lose those folks. Um, certainly we weren't able to do as much broad programming really in the beginning while we were trying to get this targeted approach under our belt. Now we have a nice blend, but there were, there were a few hiccups in the beginning. We weren't able to do our alumni awards ga gala. We actually still have not brought it back. <laughs> we did sunset it officially, but you know, that was a great good feel event that people liked. We spent a lot of money on it. Didn't have a lot of return on investment, which is why we decided to sunset it. But you know, we look back, that was a nice, good feeling event. A lot of people like to be there. Our team like to be a part of it. Um, so yeah, I think there's things with any change that you have to sort of sacrifice, but I think the ultimate reward, I mean, it just sort of makes up for it. Are, are, yeah. Do you attend conferences yourself personally, you go to case conferences regionally? And I do. I'm actually the chair of case district three. So I better wow. say to that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you better say yes. How about the case summit? Will you be up at the summit in New York? We actually have our chairs meeting um, right. this week in New York. So I'll be traveling. We will be there. there. We will see you there. So let's make sure we get a chance to say hi. But my reason I asked that, it sounds like you're active in the industry, which is great. But when you bump into somebody at a case summit and they say to you, hey, I heard that or saw that webinar, or, or they ask you to explain the work that you do and how you do it at Miami, what's the reaction you get from people who are in the industry generally? What, what do you hear back? Oh, I'm crazy. 
It doesn't work. <laughs> it's I tried it. It's not going to work. I actually had um, one of my mentors who's really well known in, in this industry. I, I spoke with her when I first got the news from my SVP that I was going to be moving to this model. I said, you got to help me. Is this going to work? Do you have any ideas? Where do I go? Who's doing this? She's like, let me tell you, we tried it and we failed. I, I'm warning you, don't do it. And I was really scared. Mm. A lot of people told me it's not good for our business. Don't do it. It's very hard. Um, I didn't have a choice, right? My, I had a boss telling me. And, and honestly, I believed in the vision he had. And it came down to then how was I going to translate that and execute it for my team? Um, and essentially, we've made it work against all odds. And we've somehow made it work. And so the initial reaction was, you're crazy. It's not going to work. Now the reaction is, how did you do it? How are you what, doing it, right? Yeah. What was your secret and how can I do it? So don't, don't tell anybody for that for free. Save uh, that for consulting. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten more calls in the past six months than ever asking me to speak at team meetings. I believe it. I believe it. How did you do it? How can I replicate? And even just a piece of it, of it right? You don't have to do the whole shebang. Right, right, how can yeah. you start easy? And I would say, start by tracking qualifications. Your folks are already meeting people. So how can you start that on a small scale? Track how many people they're meeting, how many people they're referring out, how many are they keeping? Or maybe track how your alumni boards are giving a little bit more intentionally, your volunteers regionally. Do a small piece that makes sense to you that fits your team's goals and then go from there. We had you know, to layer in pieces and we still are layering in pieces. Right. Um, and it takes a couple of years. And the work, the fruit of our work is really not going to be shown for another five years. As Chris said, it takes a whole decade, really. Honestly, we're building that pipeline. Sometimes those relationships take years. Sometimes it could take less than a year. Um, but most of them do take more time and we won't see the the fruit of that until, you know, a few years down the road. In, in that quick conversation in the in the marketplace area, case summit next week or a week and a half. And someone says to you, I heard that webinar. What's the, we're about we're heading on this. What's the one thing I should do right away? You may have already said it, but let's put a fine point on it. What's the one thing someone should do to start down this path? Well, how I started and how I recommend anyone else start is with your why. Why you do? Why would you want to do this? How is this important to your institution? What are you trying to achieve? For us, it was pipeline. And how was I going to build a pipeline? For me, it was making sure that engagement and fundraising are working hand in glove and being intentional about it and finding a way to metric it in a way that makes sense, that is realistic and feasible to track and to sustain. Um, so really asking the institution, why do you want to do this is where I would start. And then picking out maybe one or two things to do around that goal yeah, right. that can translate into the model um, because it might be different for every institution. Yeah. It might not be a one size. It is not a one size fits all. Right. We, we, we learned that every, every client we work with, it's bespoke to their culture, their history, their evolutionary stage, all those things, the staffing leadership, all those things matter. Uh, but let me, let me, again, another fine point on this. When you say, ask the question why, you're not asking yourself and your VP, just those people. You're talking about this with your VP, of course, your board, your staff, other alumni. And it becomes, you're socializing the why is what I think is part of the first step in this journey is to get the buy-in that you need to head down that path. Correct. And we started small with those conversations, right? Sure. Maybe a senior VP and some senior leaders within the team so that we had some consensus around that why. And then we tested that out when we asked the, the why out. So we then would ask our volunteers, but we knew 
where we were hoping that we would land. So we had some structure <laughs> in yeah, that conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's something I've learned more the longer I've been doing this and the more other, uh, the, 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 the more institutions I've seen, the more I've realized the importance of socializing change and ideas and seeding conversations along the way versus just, you know, doing it unilaterally is unilaterally is so important. So kudos to you for, for knowing that. So I'm going to switch a little bit here. Your office is the, um, the office of engagement. The word alumni is not in it. Is that intentional to signal a broader constituency? And um, how big is alumni actually in that equation? Great question. So we made that intentional switch with the new senior vice president started. But before he started, we made the switch, as I mentioned, from our alumni relations clubs, our alumni clubs, to Kane's community. So we're already starting to acclimate our alumni. Broader, pick, right. Yeah, yeah. The broad level. But Yes, it's because we are intentionally trying to show that anyone's a part of our, our network, if you will. Um, and the reasoning behind that is when we looked at the data in our last campaign, three-fourths of the donations came from non-alumni. And my team, my team was wow. not even servicing them because we were an alumni relations team. Mm. So imagine the potential that could be unlocked if we actually program to folks outside of alumni. So alumni are still important. They're the longest living constituency. They will always be, you know, the, the ones that will be here when the deans are gone, the presidents are gone. When I'm not here, the alumni will always be there. Um, but there's other folks that are very passionate about the U and why aren't we programming and, and, and getting them more involved? And so that was the, the intentional shift to engagement. We're engaging everyone. And what was that campaign total when you said you were three, three quarters was non-alums? How much? Oh my gosh, I don't remember the last one. I can tell you our, our current one. It's been a while. Um, is it tracking on the same three quarters non-alums in that, or is it starting to shift? No, our alumni uh, giving has gone up. It Good. has gone up. Good. And I anticipate the next campaign, it'll go up, obviously, right? That is that is the goal, to, 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 to switch that. Yep. I think there's always going to be you know, a growth with corporations and fans and grateful patients. That will certainly always be a majority of a campaign, at least for us. Um but our alumni giving is increasing. That we have seen from last campaign to this campaign, for sure. I guess we always kind of think right about like alumni being like a, a special constituency, you know, that they're unique. They've got a unique relationship with the university. You know, we've alumni relations, right? We've been doing it for a long time. And here you're sort of breaking it down and thinking, okay, there's really just the engagement side of the shop right? Where we're executing strategy and building pipeline. And it doesn't matter whether it's an alum or a donor or a parent or a member of the community. It's a philanthropy-focused engagement strategy. Alumni are just one segment of that that focus. Is that is that accurate? Or, yeah. uh, oh, this is this sorry. Is blowing up over there. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Exactly yeah. what you said. So, right. And I think it's, it's interesting because every university kind of has a different feeling about the importance of alumni getting all the way down to how we talk about alumni and, you know, the value of the alumni network. And, you know, there's definitely sort of an intentional strategy to emphasize alumni-ness uh, at a lot of schools. It doesn't sound like what you're saying is the university is leaving that behind no. from a narrative standpoint. You can still emphasize it from a narrative standpoint while not organizing around alumni. Is, uh, my, Correct. What do you Correct. No, that's true. So for instance, at, at an event, an alumnus will have their degree on their name tag to show that connection back. There will yeah. be alumni only events like 
during alumni weekend, right? That's particularly a alumni centric event, <laughs> even though non-alumni are invited to homecoming, alumni weekend is special events just for alumni. So I think there's ways that you still bring your alumni and hug them harder, if you will. Um, but at the same time, you're doing that broader base outreach to more than alumni. And you oversee the communication space components of engagement as well as part of your team, or is it more interpersonal, right? You're not measuring email opens, click-throughs. Your team's not sending out a newsletter. Are you all doing that th that component as well? Yes and no. So similar to how the events are centrally managed, but my yep. team needs a strategy. Same thing with the communications for alumni. So there's an alumni newsletter. Well, my team doesn't actually write the newsletter and send it out we are helping to develop the stories and what that messaging looks like. And all of the communications, my team is certainly weighing in, seeing drafts of the design and, and making suggestions, but they're not owning that piece of execution and deployment. So we can see the open rates and we're tracking those sorts of things on the back end, but there's another team that manages that whole process, if you will. Got it. How are you thinking about some of your goals for this upcoming year? What's hot on your plate? How are you thinking about improvement? Um, Again, the AI is really, really um, exciting, but scary. So how we are going to integrate that into our work, particularly into a scorecard, an AI-driven scorecard, is what we're really trying to tackle over the next year. Um, what is that? What's an AI-driven scorecard? So one that is not static. So the, you know, in a traditional scorecard, you have uh, let's say a hundred points and there's all these different categories, two points. If you went to an event, three points, if you did this, made a gift, you know, equating to a final score, um, creating an algorithm that sort of moves with what's, you know, what's going on in that environment and then giving a, a, a dynamic score if, if what I guess is the easiest way to break it down so that it's not so static. Um, and that might change over time. We might see that in a given year, it's more important to be, or we see more alumni that are digitally engaged and they're retweeting things, they're doing social posts and they're doing videos for us that way. Maybe that might have more weight in that given year. And then the dynamic score is a little bit different. Maybe the next year it's, we really want to look at the programming in this, this particular category and that might have more weight. We're seeing that our alumni are being more interested in this particular thing. And so helping us to learn the behaviors of our alumni and then adapt the score. I guess that's the easiest way. Sorry, yeah. I'm trying to translate this in a way that makes sense. Um, oh, yeah, it, makes, yeah, it makes sense to us. Yeah, I think it totally so. does. It's a, an advanced yeah. evolutionary state. Yeah. So, you know, the shows where they have a, a stuntman do something crazy and they say, don't try this at home. Let's <laughs> put this on this part right here. This is for an advanced evolutionary stage program. You need to do all the stuff that Erica talked about first to get to a point where you're ready to do this. Don't try this at home unless you've done all the other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering. I mean, I'm trying to think of a partner that could help drive that type of engagement scoring methodology that can, you know, you can find it in your CRM or right. is that homegrown or it sounds like a great business opportunity, but I was wondering if it is even available yet to. Not that I know of. If anyone knows, <laughs> let me know. I mean, I... Salesforce, it would be Salesforce marketing cloud. I think using it at its best would be. Correct. That's, and know. that's what we're going to use. Um, we have a CRM now. We are integrating Salesforce. That will be helpful in helping us see in real lifetime some of these behaviors to make these these tweaks, if you will. But yes, building this within an alumni relations or an engagement shop, it's not our forte, right? We're <laughs> so this is uncharted territory, but that's sort of the next evolution, really, of what I'm working on. Do not try this at home. 
Sounds like a fun project <laughs> to me. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk. Let's check in along the way. I want to hear. Yeah. That. We'll have you back to tell us how it went next time. You'll be our first repeat guest. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Well, I wanted to circle back. You all made the uh, final four, both men's and women's. And the men's were runner up, right? The women basketball team lost in the final four. Do I have that correct? Or did they? No, we we made it to the final four, didn't make it further. Women's got eliminated just before that. Okay, um, okay. But we went really far. We went really far. Yeah. Uh, more further than we've ever gone, both of our teams. It was a first time for us making it to the final four, that road to the final four. And Oh my goodness. It was a lot, <laughs> but now we have the playbook for next year, yeah. <laughs> but we had no playbook. Um, and so we had to create one within a matter of weeks. And so it was quite an adventure. We stood up, of course, the typical regional game watches. We did like 32 game watches. We had an away, uh, pregame at the, you know, at the stadium that had a couple hundred people. And then we did the ultimate, uh, watch party at home. So we took over our campus basketball facility and filled it with 3,500 fans. <laughs> um, and we did as if, it, as if the team was there, even though they weren't, and we had a whole celebration. So we had the cheerleaders, we had the band, um, we had it on the Jumbotron screen, sure. coming yeah. out. we had lights, we had a DJ playing music during the commercial breaks, we'd have some people speak, maybe some students play some games. Um, we had audience members come out and like shoot hoops and get stuff, trivia games. It was a lot of fun. We had food, of course. We did charge for the event for alumni. We charged $5, um, again, to try to increase our participation. Last year, APR was very important to us before US News changed the formula. Yeah. Um, and so that was also important to that strategy. And so we had students, alumni, fans all invited to the stadium. And it was actually a better, bigger party than the one that um, <laughs> happened in, you know, the, the, the official game. Um, but it was a great ride, a lot of work. On top of that, we had a giving challenge, a Final Four giving challenge. There was just so much happening. Great excitement, though. I mean, you don't get that momentum. Yeah. Um, just any time during the year. So it was a great opportunity for us to engage and, and to raise some money for our, our U. Yeah. You had some influencer marketing that made national news, right? Uh, two sisters on the University of Miami basketball team. And so you had some vi viral moments to the whole thing too, which added for color, right? Our, coach, our, our, our coach L dancing did a little dance. And so we use that as part of our promotion or to, you know, to hype up our event. We sent a message from him to, to, to alumni saying, maybe if you show up, I'll, I'll do another dance for you. Just maybe. <laughs> so yeah, we tried to leverage some of those things um, to our benefit for sure. I, I love all that you did there and it sounds comprehensive, but it's all done on the fly. You keep, keep in mind, you know, week to week, what's going to happen on this. I mean, you turn it around. It's amazing what you did. So kudos again. It was again. a lot of work. It was a lot it's of work. A lot. <laughs> yeah, I can only. You know, we, talked, we talked like what, what, maybe a month or two before that, um, and I just remember we, the conversation. We talked about what if, you know, and then it happened. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's one uh, of the things that, that that's tough to manage, but you kind of hope that it happens every year for you because there'd be good, lots of good goodwill that comes out of it. But at the other end of it, you're like, I hope we don't have to do this every year. So. I know. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine it's a, I remember, you know, cause you, the, the work is through the roof for this short sprint, you know, and it's, it's really fun, but it is, it is a lot. It's all consuming. You know, if you don't get to go home as much, that is for sure. 
But uh, before we let you go, Erica, last question is about inspiration. Where do you find inspiration in our in our field, personal, professional? Uh, what do you read? What do you listen to? Uh, a lot of podcasts lately. I have a long drive. I was telling Ryan, I have a long drive into work about an hour <laughs> with Miami traffic. So podcasts are really big. I mean, there's so many great ones out there. Well, um, this is the first one, right, on that list? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. There's a lot of great podcasts. Never misses an episode, Chris. We know that. (laughs) What I love about podcasts is you get to listen to them whenever you want, right? It's uh, your own time. Live events are great, but you can't always join them. So I love that you can just listen to a podcast whenever you're able to. Um, LinkedIn has a lot of great things. People are always great conversation happens on LinkedIn, people posting articles, dialogue. So LinkedIn is another great place. Um, I'm a big Simon Sinek fan. So I, I listen to or, you know, watch a lot of his videos. Um, obviously, I said the power of why I referred to that why when you asked another question. Um, and autobiographies. Right now I'm reading Bob Iger's book. I'm a big Disney fan. Those that know me closely know I'm a big Disney fan. So I love to hear about how people run very successful corporations. It's all about the people and how you manage the people and, and really deploy that vision outwardly. And um, if you don't have that right person leading and the right folks on the team, you can't get anything done. So really understanding how to effectively manage a team is um, important to me. So a lot of autobiographies I, I'll be doing over the next few months as the summer winds down. Yeah, it's great. Fantastic. Well, we'll leave it there with Erica Arroyo. Thank you so much for being on Alumless. Lots of great insights today. Thank you for listening, dear listeners. We'll be back in your feed with uh, Temi Aiken Aina from Western University in two weeks. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Bye. Thanks again, Erica. Great to see you. Thanks for having me.